Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Welcome, listeners. It is great to be back with you again today. And I'm sharing the story of M. Amy of Milk of Thy Kindness. Her grandfather grew up perpetually hungry, subsisting sometimes on as little as just one sweet potato a day. So when he was given the opportunity at 12 years old to leave China and join his uncle in Indonesia, he took it. He did not see his parents or siblings for 30 years. Two generations later, M. Amy left the comfortable life that her grandfather had built for her and arrived in Canada to study, and she has lived there since. Today, she and I discuss the dish that she says perfectly encapsulates her Chinese-Indonesian heritage and the experience of being a third-culture kid growing up in a minority mixed-race home in Indonesia and then really a third-culture or even fourth-culture adult immigrating to Canada. This year, I have returned to the roots of this podcast, just everyday people with extraordinary stories that teach us about the resilience of humanity and the way that food binds us to our past and heritage. And Amy is the perfect example of this type of guest. And I'm so honored to have her today. I'm also honored that you are here listening. I know you'll enjoy this one. We'll just jump jump right in with the questions because I, I think we've been in the same circle. We've known about each other. We've been inspired yeah. by each other's work for a while now, like I, I think almost three years. Um, yeah, that's really. crazy. I'm a fan of yours. So I well, think what you're doing is very amazing. That feeling is super mutual. And oh, um, I appreciate that. Yeah, I've always, I, I remember from the very beginning, um, you kind of just say, you can call me M mm-hmm. or, or Amy. And I've always thought, well, that sounds like there's a story behind that. <laughs> there actually is a story behind that. I, I mean, it's so funny. I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, are you trying to create a mystery or something? Mm. Like, you know, with just having an initial. M. Amy is actually my real name. Um, M being my first name initial. And, uh-huh. and Amy is my middle name, actually. Ah. So, um, yeah, so funny enough, before I was born, um, my mom already prepared a name for me and it was Emily. And, um, but then I think she changed her mind as soon as she saw me because she thought like, you know, Emily was for, for a graceful, quiet <laughs> kind of girl. <laughs> and then there I was, you know, when I was born, I was so the opposite of that. I was so lively and like expressive. So she was like, oh, I guess this name doesn't suit her. So um, my mom was um, new in Canada at the time. So she was a new newcomer because she married my dad and then she moved away from Indonesia to Canada. Mm. And then, so she decided that, Oh, maybe it's wonderful to name, you know, the top 10 baby names at the time. So my given name was actually Melissa, meaning a blessing bee. Yes. A blessing bee. No, a buzzing bee. A like, buzzing bee? Yeah. <laughs> because I couldn't keep my 
I couldn't keep my mouth shut, I think. Um, but, I know my yeah. sister-in-law is going to be listening to this. Her name is oh, Melissa. No. She's super oh, no. high energy, always gets she, everything done. Oh, she I, gets I, so honestly, much done. So Melissa, it, it's, <laughs> all I, it's you buzzing so bees out there. <laughs> it's so weird though, but it's true. Like how name reflects like our identities in a way, yeah. because like I've never met a Melissa that is like quiet and, you know, That's like, so yeah. Interesting. So, so how, how, how young were you? I mean, you couldn't have like, you know, come out of the womb and she's like, up. that's, that's, that's a Melissa or was it that quick? I think that that quick right after, just because like my demeanor, even since I was born, I was just like, so amazing. Yeah. But I never really quite identify with the name to be honest, because, Uh um, it was just not like me. And like Mm. later on years later, when I mean, like a year later when we moved back to Indo, Indonesia. And then when I went to school, to my surprise, there were so many Melissa's in the class. And like, there are sometimes like three or four Melissa's in the class. And the way like um, the school in Indonesia, like we don't change classes as we are in North America. The oh, teacher uh-huh. comes to the classes. So the the yeah, the yeah students always stay in the same class. So it became an issue because every time they say Melissa, like four <laughs> Melissa shows up, right? And then my mom like understood like my frustration and she said, oh, why don't you um, ask the teachers to call you Amy? Uh-huh. But since Amy is like... a an Americanized French name, it's uh-huh. really difficult for the local people to even pronounce it, oh. making it even harder for them. I, I didn't even like understand what they were saying if they were calling me or they were calling some, somebody else. So they ended up, okay, you know, why don't we, we just call you your last name and your the initial, uh, the initial of your, your first name. And then since then, all my close friends basically just call me TM, like a short of my last name and my first name. And that's just the name that pretty much grew with me. Wow. Yeah, so, wow. So, so you were TM in Indonesia. Yeah. yeah. So oh, like, it, it's, okay. it's really odd that like all the people in my close circles, they, they don't really call me Melissa. Like uh-huh. they give me a nicknames or some sort of like nicknames to me. Like yeah, it doesn't remotely sounds like Melissa. So a few years into Instagram, I decided that, oh, you know what? Maybe I'll just, you know, I'd like to be known as M. Amy because I understand that if I just put an M, like mm-hmm. it might sounds like strange to people. Like people feel like maybe it's a bit weird, like, you know, mm-hmm. to just, they, they couldn't really identify who is this person M, mm-hmm. like, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can call me M or Amy, but yeah. Or, or M Amy. <laughs> or M Amy. <laughs> That's, that's literally my name. M Amy, yeah. that's awesome. So what, what sounds were difficult to pronounce in Amy? I don't know, to be honest, just because they always say they didn't even say like Melissa. They would it like in local pronunciation, it would be Melissa, which is yeah. kind of like sounds different. Yeah. And also Amy, they so I think it's like the double E that threw them off. Is they somehow oh, say Ame, Ame, I like it's just like yeah, difficult for them yeah, yeah, yeah. to place the two. Yeah. So in Indonesia, what language I I'm are there multiple languages that people speak? Mm, overall, people speak Indonesian, but okay. we have like several dialects, like in regions, like different dialects. So I'm from um, West Java, so in the Java Island. So we speak like our dialect Sundanese. Okay. And then, um, but yeah, so at school, um, 
Indonesian is more like a formal language, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but within our close circle, we normally mix between Indonesian and Sundanese. Okay. But I think nowadays the younger generations are more um, like they're already started like learning English really young. Oh, so really? Can, yeah. So, so I, I'm actually surprised and shocked when the last time I went back, like people pretty much speak English. Like, so uh, yeah, I'm okay. It's interesting how like that is yeah. really interesting. And especially yes. I think because for, for, from just looking, looking at Indonesia through the lens of your story, what I know about mm-hmm. you, that you're Chinese Indonesian, I actually, and that there was a, you know, big wave of immigrants from China. I actually thought mm-hmm. you were going to say most people spoke Chinese, but I'm super wrong on that. Um, you know what? Uh, actually, in the 1960s, during mm-hmm. um, the reign of, do, do, I don't know if you're familiar with Suharto. He he was like no. a, he was a reigning president for 32 years. So um, during that time, Chinese people or Chinese descendant. Ch- of Chinese descent people are having like a tough time because there's a lot of discriminations against us because we are a minority in and Indonesia in, in Indonesia I and see. because uh, Indonesia is predominantly a Muslim country. So maybe okay. about 90, 97% of mm-hmm. the populations, they are Muslims mm-hmm. and Chinese people are in Indonesia specifically are not Buddhist. They are like off Christian um, mm. in the religion. So it was already like a difficult time like for them to, mm-hmm. to deal with the difference, but also mm-hmm. there's, but the segregation actually, it happened way, like the history of the segregation happened way before that, mm-hmm. um, during okay. like the colonization of Dutch in Indonesia, which is just, which was in the 1800. Oh. But yeah, but to make the story short, in the 1960s, they, they published a law, which um, basically says that you cannot practice anything that is any kind of Chinese heritage, any Chinese language, anything, any Chinese cultures Mm. in when you live in Indonesia. So like at the time it was pretty much like uh, all the Chinese people are silenced from their culture to Mm. the point where most people, well, not most people, actually all people, you know how Chinese people have three names. Mm. They have to Mm -hmm. change their surname. They have to change the surname in in order to make it sound localized. Mm. So they added like words. Mm-hmm. So it's like hiding their identity almost. So like so your yeah, last name is Tan. Is that yeah, which your is, Chinese last name or is that Indonesianized? <laughs> I, I, we were lucky for some reason. I Because I was born like past that year, right? Oh, so like okay. we didn't have to do that. But like, like even during that time, like, a lot of people stop speaking Mandarin, stop speaking Chinese at all, you know. Mm-hmm. So it is sad that my generation and um, a lot of my generation, we don't speak. We, we are a passive speaker. Mm-hmm. We understand what it means because, like, you know, most of the generation above us, they still speak. But then mm-hmm. us, we just understand it. We don't speak. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. Yeah. So is Chinese a... Um, are, are, so you were you were a religious and a racial minority um, yeah, in Indonesia. Yeah. Yes. So racially, how how big of a majority is um, is Chinese in India? Like, is it you know two percent or is it a big minority, thirty or forty percent? You no, know, I I'm actually not really sure how big okay. it is, but I would share. I would I would think that it is less than 
ten percent, maybe like five oh, percent. Okay, not even not not even more than that. Yeah. Okay, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. You've explained a lot to me, corrected a lot of misconceptions <laughs> on my behalf, and, and we'll get back to that. We'll get back to your family. Yeah, we'll story, get back to that for sure. Just um, sticking with the name, the name um, theme, the name motif mm-hmm. for a little while here. You also have a really beautiful studio name, which I oh, think. Thank has, you. Well, I think it's also added to the mystery. You know, you have oh, you have Amy, and then you have this really beautiful studio name, which is Milk of Thy Kindness. Which You're I, probably the first person who takes an interest on that name. So really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, really? No, yeah. I love that name. I think. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I love the fact that, you know, clearly food is referenced with milk, but then um, mm-hmm. you're, you're bringing like a real, a real value, a real emotion to the idea of food with milk of thy kindness. There's, mm-hmm. it, I'm very fascinated by the it just, it conjures up an image in my mind. Mm. And then I come to find out, I think it's a reference to Shakespeare. Yes, it is actually like taken from Macbeth. Um, yeah. Um, so if you know, like Macbeth, like mm-hmm. I think the lady was, uh, there was a phrase somewhere in there that's saying uh, about milk of human kindness. Mm-hmm. And it's talking about uh, compassion and care. Mm-hmm. And I was at the time when I was trying to launch this blog, I was just thinking of a name that can give a summary of my purpose and reasons. Mm. And I stumbled upon that uh, phrase and Mm. I was thinking, oh yeah, as you mentioned, milk, like essentially that's like, yeah, you know, life giving. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Life giving. And then, um, I was just thinking that, wow, you know, like we share our food and table for this very reason, because you care and you have compassion for other people. And I feel like these two things are what keep the world going around. And then, and then um, I was like, oh, human, that is interesting when it says human. And then I was thinking like, well, you know, when you think, when I think about me Mm. as a part of the universe, I feel like. I'm just a minuscule part, you know, mm-hmm. I'm very small. Yeah. I mean, it's insignificant, you know, mm-hmm. and um, whatever that we have and whatever bounty of nature that is given to us is, is a blessing from God. And Amen. this is, mm-hmm. yeah. And this is stemming from my belief, you know, and I feel like, you know, matter, no matter what you're doing, um, you are basically like an extension of his hand. Mm. So, so um whether you are giving compassion or whether you are caring just to mm-hmm. share your tables, you know, or telling people's or telling the stories of people. Um, that's basically, I think my reason, you know, mm. so that was that, it. That's beautiful and beautifully <laughs> Thank said. You. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Amazing. So, well, I want to kind of linger there. I hope that's sinking in to everyone listening. <laughs> I, I have to move on to keep the interview going, but this is this is really that's sitting okay. with me and I'll be considering it for a while. Um I oh. that's beautiful. It really is. Yeah. Um thank you. I do want to talk about your recipe. Um okay. I, lots about it. I, I want mm-hmm. I want you to say the name of it because I'm sure I'm gonna mispronounce it. I want you to tell us, you know, kind of what it tastes like. I want you to tell us why okay. it's significant to you and, and, okay. and your memories associated with it. And then I have a lot of questions about how how to make it. It was super interesting to me reading through this recipe. So yeah, all tell right. us about your recipe that you chose. Okay. So the recipe that I share with you all is called Mi Goreng. Mm. So me 
the first part of the recipe, meek is meek refers to noodles. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically in this recipe, it's a wheat type of egg noodles. Um, and goreng refers to the frying method of preparation. Ah. So basically, simply it's just fried noodles. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes me goreng um, a little unique is uh, the fact that the ingredients in me goreng, the, the essential ingredients in me goreng is called ketchup manis. And ketchup manis is an Indonesian thick sweet soy sauce that mm. gives an ex- a distinctive caramel flavor. So it's kind of sweet. Um, oh. I think when, when, when you think about me, like about fried noodles in general, I, we think about soy sauce because, yeah, uh, yeah, because like fried noodle originated from Chinese cuisine and it is, it, it is derived from that. And uh-huh. but then with the local adaptation. So this is so when interesting. You, yeah. yeah. So when you fry all the spices, the lo- like, like, you know, the onions mm-hmm. and the garlics in like high heat with normally they use chicken fat. Mm-hmm. So to make it even like, even like richer, yeah. Yeah, richer. yeah, so and flavorful. Like, yeah. And so flavorful. So they, they fry all the ingredients in a high heat and then they drench the ketchup manis, which actually creates like a smoky caramelized flavor. Making it like, interesting. Yeah, so, so I need to, for anybody listening, um, I, I, my, my brain had to race to catch up here for a second because, um, say this key ingredient again, can you pronounce that? It's for me called again? ketchup manis, right? Ketchup manis, right. Which sounds so, like ketchup. Like you put on yes. a hot dog or a hamburger and yes, I want to emphasize does. to everyone that is it not does. what it we're does. talking about. It's um, not. I, and I could catch up in, in my mind. I could, I could catch on quicker because I've seen it written. It's spelled mm. K E C A P. That's the first mm-hmm. name. That sounds exactly mm-hmm. like ketchup. And then yeah. manis is how it's, it, that does that is spelled how it sounds, which is M-A-N-I-S. yeah. Money's actually yeah. Money's actually means um, sweet. Ah, oh, so yeah. Okay. And ketchup is, I think, just like a soy sauce. And what is this made from? What is the sauce made from? So it's made from soybeans, fermented oh. soybeans, just just like you know, soy sauce basically. Uh-huh. But um, years ago, when the Chinese traders brought like soy sauce i i think the local mm. uh when the japan the japanese local really prefer like sweet tasting dishes mm. so they did like an adaptation of the soy sauce and make it thicker with um mm. palm sugar or like molasses whatever mm. was like you know making anything sweet i guess at the mm. time and it became such an important ingredient in our cuisine because it literally like replace um soy sauce and sugar combinations like if you if I you see. if you see yeah. in, like a lot of chinese cuisine they use like a lot of soy sauce and rock sugar mm-hmm, so in replacement mm-hmm. of that we use ketchup manis instead okay this is mm-hmm. so interesting to me so you, i mean you have like a sweet fried rice that's packed with things like vegetables chicken and yes, shrimp and yes. really you can't go. So wrong it's, it, is, it is similar to that. <laughs> Just to replace the rice with noodles, basically. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Did I say fried rice? I didn't even mean to say that. Yeah. Fried noodles. Amazing. Oh, um, I am completely fascinated by this idea. I've, I've never read a recipe before that calls for cooking something in um, chicken fat. So what's the technique there? Oh. You know, how, how, how do how how did your family always kind of like gather and store this chicken fat? I think this is like something. Or do you buy that it? Is, um, 
Yes, I think you oh. can buy it from like a vendor or like a oh. even like sometimes like the street. Um, this is really odd, but like back home, there uh-huh. will be like a street vendor selling fresh vegetables. Uh-huh. So they will like just like walk around the neighborhood and they'll, you know, every morning and then they sell chicken fats. They sometimes sell like, you know, like the basic ingredients to cook basically. Mm. And um, but I know like um, in some Chinese restaurants in Indonesia, the old types of Chinese restaurants, mm-hmm. they render their own fat, you know, from the most, most of the time they don't use the skin of the, the mm-hmm. chicken. So they, mm-hmm. they collected all the fat I and then see. they render it with a good amount of oil, I which see. They, later they use for cooking other mm. like dishes, you know? Mm. Yeah. Mm. How absolutely delicious. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. And do you, do you there in Ontario have a way to, do, do you find or keep or store or buy chicken fat? I do sometimes, like I do it for like, when I, when I have a leftover chicken skin, yeah. uh, you know, or chicken fat, like it's, I don't do it very often because yeah. it takes, it takes some time, you know, you right. have to let it simmer and you have to look for it. You have to watch for it. So, mm. so if yeah. I were to make like, like I'm, I'm not, if I were to, I'm going to make this recipe so mm-hmm. I could easily, you know, buy, you know, um, bone in skin on chicken thighs. Mm. And then what mm. I would do is I would, I would take the skin off before cooking. Sorry, my vegan listeners, yeah. <laughs> I would take, um, I, know. I would take the skin off before cooking the mm-hmm. chicken and then I'd mm-hmm. cook the chicken, however I choose to. And then just you actually the take the fat, you just put it mm-hmm. in a pan and mm-hmm. cook it and just yeah, um, correct. gather that fat. Yeah. Wow. Correct. That's correct. And then wow. I, I huh. think a lot of the secrets of the, the, how good the, the dish is back home is from the oil. Like, Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. And they go to the extent of adding spices or and mm. other things, aromatic stuff to the, to when they render the chicken fat. So, mm. but if, even when you're doing it just plainly with, or with mm. garlic or just like, you know, peppers, it, it mm. already taste it already changed like the dish like completely you know oh when you flavor the oil you mean yeah when you flavor the oil yeah yeah, for sure it's interesting I was um interviewed for um a newspaper um Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago and they asked specifically it was a really interesting question I wasn't expecting it and they asked could you submit a recipe that -hmm. they could share with their readers um that like uh, would exemplify a way that my cooking has changed because of the podcast. And I thought, wow, that's a really unique, thoughtful <laughs> question. I really appreciated that. And uh, the recipe that I chose, it was a um, chicken korma, a Pakistani chicken korma recipe. Nice. And I said, the number one way that this podcast has changed my cooking is mm. it taught me the idea of this um, starting with whole spices and then flavoring mm-hmm. the oil that you cook everything yes. in. That is not yes. an American approach to cooking. And once you have that approach in your mind, it changes everything <laughs> for me. You're right. Yes. I, I'm actually, I was actually surprised that this was not a practice mm. like in any, well, I know like in Asia and Middle Eastern, this is like toasting your spice or um, yeah. um, cooking your spice in oil is the, the start of the cooking <laughs> 
yeah. process, basically. Right. That's, right. that's where all the flavor comes from because fat carries all the flavors, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes, exactly. And it extends and um, seeps into everything. Yeah. So, yeah. well, um, so this is great. I, <laughs> I can't wait to make this recipe. And I think I'm going to go all out and try that. I wouldn't be able to do that, you know, every time I, I can wait. It, but I can wait. I think for this. To hear back from you. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just a new technique I've got to try. Um, and I, I, I do love, um, I do love fat. <laughs> My family <laughs> thinks I'm crazy, but I love it. Salty fat <laughs> is the best thing. So, um, tell me about why you chose this for the podcast. You know, I, you could have picked any recipe in the world. What makes this one so significant to you, um, culturally and personally? Um, so first and foremost, I think noodle is the universal language. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, like everybody know noodles and yeah, it, it's hard not to like aside, mm. aside from that, I think me goreng just carries so many nostalgic memories for me, mm-hmm. um, in my culture, like it's crucial to have noodles on every birthdays because they symbolize longevity. So mm-hmm. every year we would celebrate our birthday with these noodles and, mm-hmm. and on any, celebrations this dish will always make an appearance uh and also like mi goreng is a kind of a humble dish that you'll find like everywhere like on a street corner like from the food street vendor like doing their their cooking even mm. at like a five-star hotel restaurants you know like it, it's one of those dishes that everybody just love and mm-hmm. like every, yeah and then my dad well my dad is like a fan of noodles. Yeah. <laughs> he, he he loved noodles so much that he would take me out on a car ride every few nights, you know, to search for delicious noodles. Wow. So I think, it, and then, yeah, I just want to share something that is, you know, quintessentially Indonesian, something yeah. that reflects my food identity with the yeah. ketchup, you know, with everything. Mm-hmm. And I think this dish gives a good introduction to Indonesian cooking without being it super overwhelming. Yeah, right. I, right. Hope, I, <laughs> I don't have to go to four so. new grocery stores to collect all the ingredients and everything. Although I will be, it looks like I'll be visiting um, an Asian market for this, this, um, yeah. what's it called? Japanese. Uh, well, that, yes. And also yeah. the um, yu choy, is it called yu choy? Yeah, the yuchoi. The yuchoi is like easily replaceable. You can just okay. use the cabbage. You can you don't have to. But I mean, yeah, you can easily find it in the Asian grocery store for sure. Okay. Okay. Well, I think it's really interesting. Uh, a couple things. One, you you mentioned this also um, in, in the written part when you submitted the recipe that you can find it mm-hmm. from a street vendor to a five-star restaurant, which is just mm-hmm. interesting to me because I think we like to think sometimes that when we go to... Um, a fancier restaurant, we're somehow getting better mm-hmm. food, but mm-hmm. it kind of goes to show it's more about ambiance and marketing and all those things, because this is truly the same dish that you could get at any, yeah. you know, at home on the street that's true. or, and that's, they, that's just interesting to me. They might, they might dress it up, you know, with yeah, more proteins, <laughs> proteins and like, you know, right. side dishes or whatnot, but right. essentially it's the same thing, you know, like it's just yeah. noodles yeah. and proteins cook in, normally open fire, like really big fire and caramelized, caramelized sauce. Oh, well, that's interesting. I was going to ask you, can I grill the chicken? Cause that's my MO. Anytime I make anything that requires cooking in front, Mm -hmm. um, up front, I just tend to grill it. I think it's the most flavorful way. It's the cleanest. It's just, it's, I, 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 that's the way I like to do it. And it sounds like, yes, I can do that. I can grill the chicken, get a nice, a nice, you um, might, you might want to put it in. 
Yeah, I think that would be interesting though, because it's probably going to add like a smoky kind of mm, flavor mm-hmm, to the mm-hmm. dish. I don't know. You should try it. Yeah, but then I've again, never, then I've never, I've never tried before. Yeah, then again, um, I wouldn't get what we were talking about a few minutes earlier, which is all the flavor from the oil in it. That way, yeah, so I will. I'll do it. So. I'll do it as written this way. Okay, <laughs> you can try both times and tell me, like maybe you know what well, you like better. That's the best that be idea. <laughs> I like that. Would that be way. that would be interesting. Okay, okay. I that's... never thought about that actually. Maybe I should. Mm. I should try that sometime. I'll but see. That's interesting. I'll see. Mm. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. All right. So also you said that this was, um, it was a perfect representation of your Chinese Indonesian heritage, mm-hmm. which what, what parts of this dish connects you to your, like, you've definitely talked about how it connects you to your Indonesian heritage, um, and your experiences growing up in Indonesia. How does it connect you to your Chinese heritage? Well, other than like noodles origin being originated from China mm. and being brought to Indonesia and introduced to Indonesia by the Chinese migrants. Mm. Um, I think it's related because um, like my family history and like how like it's, it's a heritage. It's just part <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah. If it's, it's part of your, of, yeah. Part of your childhood, it has to be. Because, it's part of my yeah. childhood. Mm-hmm. And also like, um, yeah, because of my grandparents, my paternal mm. grandparents, they're like the first generation immigrants from China. So mm. for them, that this was like, I think, a dish that bring comfort for them because it's mm. they can identify that with their heritage cooking, mm. you know, because of the noodles. Yeah, because of the noodles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see. I see. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about that. You're Chinese Indonesian. Tell me about the history um, of your family coming to Indonesia. Mm -hmm. And then did this coincide with some sort of, you know, major event in China or Indonesia where they came with a whole wave of people or did they come a little bit more on their own? Okay. So my parental grandparents were a part of Chinese economic migrants, I think, um, around 1930s and 1940s. Mm. Um, This is actually like the the grandparents from my father's side. From my my mother's side, uh, there will be a different story. Okay. So uh, yeah, so my paternal grandparents, they're from Fujian province, uh, south Mm. of China. Um, and they came to Indonesia because, um, well, my gra- my grandfather, he, he came to Indonesia because he was legally adopted by his uncle who, oh. who have years before settled in Indonesia and um, established his own business. And at the time, because he doesn't have any children, he decided, you know, like, well, my relative in China is living a very poor life. So why don't I just adopt a kid, you know? And then that way that he would have like, he will have someone to inherit the business and pass on his name. Wow. So it was a very yes. practical decision. It, it was, it was a very practical decision and it was common at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also my grandparent, my, my, I mean, sorry, my, my grandpa was not supposed to go. It was supposed to be um, the birthright of the eldest son, apparently, but the eldest son like got chicken out because, you know, it's completely, foreign to him right the idea of moving wow across across the sea and at this time we're talking about like 12 13 years old you know mm. and you're moving across the sea not knowing any language not knowing mm. you know the place at all but then um I think at the time my grandpa had such a difficult life he he said that um you know even every day he would eat like just 
a sweet potato, like a steamed sweet potato every day to the point that he just had like a bloated stomach. He couldn't mm-hmm. take it anymore. So he, in his mind, he was like, you know what? Something has to change. And if, if anything will change, this is the opportunity that I would take. So he, he decided that he, yeah. So he just, so he went. was 12 or 13 years old. He was 12 or 13 and not knowing a single Indonesian word. And he wow. was, I think on the ship for like two months with just only clothes on his back. Had he ever uh, met your uncle? Did he know if your uncle would be yes. kind or not kind? Or? Yes, yes, yes. Because I think my uncle visited them like, you know, in okay. China to like, I see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to bear the news. But um, so he ended up working with my uncle. And then um, I think around the same time, my paternal grandmother family moved from China as well, from the same province, actually. It's really odd the fact that most of the influx of Chinese immigrants in Indonesia at the time comes from the southern province of China. Wow. Um, yeah. So like she was already like in Indonesia at the time in the 19th 30s, late 1930s or 1940s. And um, they were, they were like, they were, I think they met through like arranged marriage. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And so that why, was did, it. why did her parents leave? Uh, I think her parents leave like for a better, for the same economic reasons, you know. Okay. I think that was like, they saw that there was an opportunity in, in Southeast Asia to be a trader, to be a merchant. And they did open shop i think it was like probably like almost like an equivalent to a convenience store nowadays they sell whatever they can to just like you know live based on the profits but it it was like a better life than it was in china so Mm -hmm. they they took that chance yeah um yeah very interesting to me Yeah. yeah and then but then meanwhile from my maternal side, they were of Peranakan dis- descent. So mm. Peranakan is basically um, a mixed heritage mm-hmm. of native-born person mm-hmm. with uh, foreign ancestry. So, mm. native-born to China, native, bo- yeah, native-born to China. So uh-huh. we we couldn't we couldn't really trace back how mm. far, like how many generations far, uh, like. Like, you know, the first, the first Chinese generation that comes like from my mother's side, but okay. we, we knew, we knew for sure, like, even like my mother's like great grandfather uh-huh. was already born in Indonesia. Oh. So there was, there was, there was a mixed culture in their culture where like this Peranakan culture is born out of um, this like initial Chinese migrants. So, mm-hmm. okay, to, to trace back, basically yeah. during like the 18th century, yeah. like when the Dutch colonized uh, Indonesia, uh-huh. um, a lot of um, the Chinese migrants were hired as workers. So they came to, as an influx <sighs> to Indonesia. So it's okay. kind of complicated. So yeah. They came to Indonesia uh, to work because they know that there will be better opportunities yeah. obviously than in uh-huh. China but the thing is they said that the transportation was rigorous and mm-hmm. it was dangerous you know mm-hmm. so mostly only men were hired to oh, to do the job right yes and then what it. happens what happened when there's there were there were to all these men they need wives right right Indonesian so, women yeah. yeah so they ended up marrying into the local culture and then from there a new subculture kind of born called Peranakan culture. And this Peranakan culture is also true 
in Singapore and Malaysia I see. and some part of Philippines. These are like part of like, I see the, yeah. So I see, I see so- how it's kind of like connected. <laughs> they don't really speak the language anymore. They speak more Japanese, like, you know, mm. the local language. And to make it even more complicated, in th- mm. in case for my um, maternal grandparents, which I call Oma and Opa, mm. they were educated in Dutch school and they spoke Dutch. So oh, wow. they, it's a completely different, I feel like one side of the family is completely like different than the other side of the mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. And in terms of cuisine, they practice more Pranakan cuisine, which is like a mix of local Indonesian and like a Chinese, it's, it's, it's the cuisine on its own, basically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. Because it's so much more influenced by Chinese. Yeah. So, I see. And then your dad. So this is super interesting. Yeah. Because on your mother's side, it was more of. Um, it's Pranakan culture. It's a mixed heritage. Yeah, plus with and, all the Dutch influences thrown in, yes, of their education, yes, and then yes. your dad was. My lit- dad is more the more the Chinese, like full, they they call it in Indonesia, like full blooded Chinese. Basically, yeah. my dad was like the second generation mm. of Chinese immigrants, right? So they tend to be more traditional and mm-hmm. still like um, practicing their Chinese heritage, you know, in cookings and the way they conduct, like, you know, their lives. Yeah. So, yeah. So when your parents met and married, how did that affect or what was each of their family's reactions to that? Was that a problem or was that, you know, a Romeo and Juliet situation? (laughs) You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a problem, but Mm -hmm. I think at the time it was something that was challenging because I think they both come from a completely different, although it is similar, but then it's kind of different because uh, the way, and then also because my, my, um, my paternal grandparents, they always, they, they have a business. So they have a family business where their life is more tight knit, you know, mm-hmm. and then more yeah, like everything they, is re- like, you know, like a business, everything is recorded. Like yeah. this, this is why we can trace back like how far in generation where they come from. Well, from my, from my mom's side, like they were everywhere mm-hmm. because the, it's already, they're already everywhere. Yeah. Like they're mixed yeah, with they're the already so cultures. many they're multi-generational. They're multi-generation and multi-culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it was, it was interesting growing up, like even from the food, like, one side is a lot different than the other side, you know? Mm. So, mm. so who, yeah. who lived with you and who taught you how to cook? So, um, for the first 14 years after I came back from Canada, mm. um, right up to junior high, I lived with my paternal grandparents, my wow. great grandmother, um, wow. mom and dad, and three of my siblings. And, uh, we have a few house helpers who also mm. help for, you know, daily chores and they also cook. Mm. Um, So uh, my grandmother is the head of the kitchen, obviously, Mm -hmm. and she Mm -hmm. loved to cook and feed people. I think she, she just really loved food. (laughs) Mm. I think having, she had like seven kids. So like, I think it's, it's part of her nature to just feed people, you know? Right. Right. And, um, once in a while she would make her specialties and on special occasion and cook her own, you know, heritage food, like dumplings and fishball and other mm. kind of stuff. Mm. But most of the time, the house health nurse would take the initiative to cook. And um, my grandma would teach them how to cook like her food, 
Mm. And, and during that time, I would try to observe, you know, because mm. she would instruct them. She was like an inspector. She would tell mm. them, okay, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot from that. Um, but at the same time, she, she gives the liberty to the yeah. house helpers to cook their own food and introduce mm-hmm. it to us yeah. because all these house helpers comes from a different regions of um, the island. So okay. some might be making like original like cuisine, original, original dish that we don't know. Yeah. So it was, it was a very interesting thing to grow up with because we are exposed to so many different types of food. Yeah. This yeah. is interesting because I've heard, um, I think because I, because this is so common in so many mm-hmm. parts of the world yes. or, you know, even like middle-class, um, households to have, yes, help. It's something that comes up a lot on the podcast, but it's very foreign to me. And I think a lot of American listeners. And is this something that, um, because your mother, your grandmother loved to cook, that's, that's where she spent so much of her time. But in another household, if someone really cared about, um, you know, perhaps gardening or something like, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Was there a prescribed way that this, um, dynamic between help and employer had to work out in a household or was this specific to your home? You see what I'm asking? I think it's specific to my home, but then also because, um, I think my grandpa was more focused on like the business side of the Uh, family. So uh she, I think her focus was to just provide Mm. food, you know, for when my grandpa and my dad comes home, then there will be food on the table. So I think that's, I don't know, like a precious time for the family to eat together. Right. Yeah. And how about your mom? What was she doing? So she was cooking too sometimes because her food is completely different. Right. And Uh, I think later, I think later um, in the time where my grandparents have to follow like a different kind of diet due to Uh their age, she cooked more in in the, in the kitchen. Um, and then like after 14 years, we actually moved to our own home and then we didn't, we didn't have a house helper because my, my mom did, wasn't raised up with a house helper. So she, she liked her own liberty and having her own freedoms, you know, doing her own things at her own pace. Sure. Sure. I can identify with your mom and I feel like that must've been a long, (laughs) a long 14 years for her. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a tough time for her, like Mm. adapting and being, you know, living with the in-law and just Mm -hmm. kind of like having her own family, but also um, submitting to the the family, you know, the husband's family. So I remember there were a lot of times where we, you know, maybe she was craving her food from like her Mm. own like heritage. And she, she just have to wait, you know, when the kitchen is free to use or, you know, like not taking the space. So Mm -hmm. I, I, I imagine it was like interesting when, um, she finally have her own home. Yeah. And then, so she cooked, she cooked more. And obviously like mom is like, Oh, you need to cook now because if you're at the time, like she knew that um, I was going to be sent abroad to school. So she's mm-hmm. like, okay, you, you need this like skill, this you know, life skill, you, sure. this life skill yeah. is really important. So you do the cooking now, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's pretty wow. much it. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you, you personally, you describe yourself as a third culture kid, which first mm-hmm. of all, um, explain that term for people um, listening. So third culture kid, kid mm-hmm. is described as uh, a children or children who spend 
their formative years in the place that are not their parents' homeland, mm-hmm. or maybe um, adult uh, people who who significantly spend part of their child development years like somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I find that maybe this definition is not 100% correct in my yeah. case because mm-hmm. it's a little backward because I was born in Canada and raised in Indonesia and then now living back in Canada. Yeah. But then I feel like I identify a lot with the struggles. Oh, yeah. The, Being born in the third Yeah. Yes. Being born in Canada, in your case, is more of like a technicality because you were yes. born there. But before you could ever really experience Canada, yes. you were back in Indonesia. Yeah, but yeah. it was more like this. I'd, I'd identify with the struggles, the fact that even when I was in Indonesia, I was seen as a foreign person. Right. Because, Be- I, mm. yes, because I was, I was holding a Canadian passport. And then all these mm. kids are like, oh, you're, you're different than us. Mm. And I always struggle for the sense of like home, you know, even when I was home, I wasn't really home. But then when I'm here now, I feel like Indonesia is also my home. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, Mm -hmm. there's always the struggle of finding which one is home, both Mm -hmm. are home. And then, yeah. And in some ways, I mean, I've heard many, many, many third culture kids say, you could also be described as like a a no culture. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And basically Mm -hmm. you are, since you are so adaptable and you are so curious, you might actually adopt other 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 cultures, especially now that you know the world is easy mm-hmm. to travel to, right? So whenever you travel, you adopt that cultures to your own, making like another cultures for yourself mm-hmm. because that's just how the way you are. You know, you're mm-hmm. so adventurous and adaptable in the same time. Right. Well, when you when you said this, I'm a third culture kid, and then I was kind of reading through your story. I was kind of like, okay, I'm counting cultures, <laughs> and I think <laughs> I'm getting. I was like, I'm getting to a fourth <laughs> because I wow, wonder. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I guess I'm just wondering if, um, because yeah, you have like I was born in Canada. Um, always had the option of going back. It sounds like you kind of your parents knew it was kind of your destiny to go back to Canada yeah. at some point. But also, you're raised in Indonesia. But also, it sounds like you had a minority experience there from the Chinese yes, perspectives. Yeah. So I, mm. I think that is what is giving the the I don't know like the third culture kids like syndrome to me because yeah because um living in Indonesia on its own from, you know, being a kind of like a mix of pure like Chinese and like Pranakan culture Mm -hmm. from my my mom and dad, those culture in itself is already making me like think like, okay, so what am I like? This is kind of, uh, this is a little bit of everything, you know? And I have to just like make myself adaptable. Yeah. And you know, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is that something that you feel like you've become more mindful of, um, mm-hmm. as an adult or were you more mindful of it as a child and it kind of resolved at some point, which way did it go for you? Um, I think as I was a child, I, I wasn't thinking too much of it, mm-hmm. but then now looking back, I have more appreciations of where I come from because, Mm -hmm. you know, like once I'm away and I'm in Canada and I'm totally exposed to all these new cultures. And obviously I'm like, Ooh, I have new cultures. Now I can adopt all these cultures for my cultures now. Mm. And then kind of creating my own identity. Mm -hmm. But then deep down, I'm still trying to find connections to home. So I'm like, well, but then this is 
is it me like or this is like who I am so mm-hmm. I've I yeah I find myself to trace back like all this um my way to like my roots and really gain more appreciations for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For that. It sounds like, mm, it, it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you have like a really open and curious nature. So there's an excitement I for do. you, but I at do. the same time, you almost wonder if you're betraying something or someone or your family uh, by doing that. No, in, I'm, I don't feel like I'm betraying, mm. but like, I feel in my olden years, I begin to appreciate more because um, once like my grandparents, my, I mean, my paternal grandparents pass away mm. and then I just, I just have a sense of void of like, okay, so what's next? Like, I mean, where are all this heritage gonna, like all this, um, heritage and traditions gonna go. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I need to be in, I feel like I need to hold on to it to be yeah. in touch with mm-hmm. these heritages. So then like, at least if I have a children in the future, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. they, they, they know where I come from because it's mm-hmm. such an important part of the story of who they will be. Right. 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 So, yeah. Right. right. So, and to honor all those, um, yeah. Amazing, you know, brave mm-hmm. stories, your grandfather who just chose, <laughs> chose mm-hmm. to leave or, you know, your other grandparents who, yeah, yeah. were just seeking something better. Yeah. You want to yeah. honor that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like my paternal grandpa was like a very influential figure in my life. Mm-hmm. And he always, he always, 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 always mentioned um, this phrase. It, it says that um, a peanut never forgets its shells. So mm-hmm. basically it means that you never forget your humble beginnings, where your roots are, where you're, where you come from mm. when, you know, like you just have to remember that because that's part of who you are and you can mm. only move forward if you understand your identity. Yeah. You know? So yeah. that, um, I guess economically it worked out mm-hmm. for your grandfather. He took your uncle's business over. It sounds like he was very successful and passed it back on to your father. Do you think he ever, um, regretted his move I don't think so I think Mm. he just thought of it more like as a as a passage of life and Mm. he he really shared it like you know with us that he was glad that he chose that life because then we will have a better life Mm. otherwise like you know all of us will be miserable you know Mm. living like maybe a poor life back in China Mm. and Mm. I think um up to like 1972 or something maybe like about 30 years since he lives in Indonesia he never he couldn't even go back to visit his mother so he yeah Mm -hmm. he 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 only went back like maybe 30 years later or something for the first time to to basically like be hey yes I made it you know Mm -hmm. now I can support you guys now that I'm you know, doing okay. And uh, this is the reward of you letting me go. And then now I can't take care of you. So mm, I think, I think it's yeah. Yeah, that mentality that. Yeah. Cause I have to tell you when you were telling me that story, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of forcing myself, okay, let's focus on the story of her grandfather here, but I got to tell you, my heart was straight with his mom mm-hmm. and, um, Oh yeah, for sure. They, I can imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It must have helped that it was a relative. It was, you know, his yeah. brothers, you know, but, um, you know, any, you know, I have adopted children and I think that, yes. um, I think that birth mothers are, uh, <laughs> I think that they are the bravest people yeah, in the world they, they are. and it bothers me a lot 
about our society, um, the language that we use mm-hmm. about birth that we're parents. Portray- portraying birth parents. That's correct. Yeah. Yes. I think we use yeah. language that's very demeaning to them and their decision. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that they deserve to be really honored above all else. And um, it is I, a selfless act. It's, it is it's a truly selfless a selfless act. act. And it's yeah. like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine how difficult it must be for her, you know? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all that. So who she, you said your mom knew that you were going to be in Canada. So tell me about that. Did you feel like you had a say in the decision? Did you come by yourself? How did that happen? So I was very fortunate that, um, my grandpa from my dad's side, Mm -hmm. my paternal grandpa, give us the options to school abroad, to study abroad once we finished high school. And most my cousins, like they, you know, they study in the U.S. or in Australia. And at the time, um, most of my um, extended family, like my my dad's um, sisters, are already abroad. So wow. they, they already, like, migrated to Australia. And two of my aunts from my dad's, they actually live in Canada. And since my dad used to work and school in Canada, so... And I hold a, like a Canadian citizenship. So I think it made sense for, for him to think mm-hmm. of my future and being in Canada. Yeah. Um, we look for other options, you know, to Australia because my other aunt is there, obviously. Because, <laughs> yeah, Australia is a lot closer <laughs> yeah, geographically. Closer. I mean, yeah, it's and then much like, closer. Oh, it's a lot closer, much closer. But it was, it didn't feel right at the time. Mm. I don't know why, but how, I just ended up here. You? I was 17. Wow, so I think young. I left, I, I left quickly after my birthday. I said to my parents, like, you know what? I want to have my final birthday, my 17th birthday, my sweet 17 in Indonesia before I leave to Canada, because wow. I have no idea like what's life's going to be here. Right. Wow. And fast that... forward. Yeah. I'm here now for like, I don't know how long. <laughs> and you're, you're the only one who came. Um, I came and then years later, my sister came. But mm-hmm. she went back now. She has her family back home uh, in Madan, in Sumatra. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother, my third brother is here with me. So mm-hmm. he lo- he lives like maybe 15 minutes away from me. And then my, uh, my other brother lives in Bandung, like near my parents. So we're kind wow. of like everywhere. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I just, you yeah. know, my oldest is 17. Okay. He's 17 and, um, you know, a month. So... You're telling me that's the age you were when you just said, boom, Woo, well, that is, yeah. um, that's intense. That's intense. And, um, that's intense it is yeah. like you, you, you recognize it as that, or does it just seem, seem um, totally normal to you? I guess when I was prepared, I was prepared to, to, you know, to be abroad since I was mm-hmm. like, maybe like 12 or 13. So every time mm-hmm. the ants visit Indonesia and you know, they'll be like, oh, you're going to join us soon. You know, so I have that kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Okay, I will be away. So I was kind of prepared, but then I wasn't prepared with different like, you know, environment and ad- adaptations that I have to to deal with as soon as I was, as soon as I was here. But, but thankfully, because I, you know, for the first few years uh, before university, I still live with my aunt. So she mm-hmm. gave me that kind of stability and environment okay. and family, a sense of family that I needed, you know, because yeah. I was still a 17. Yes. Um, so she, she yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she did provide me, you know, a mother figure, like, and mm. she, she was just like my second mom, basically. Mm-hmm. So I was very, very lucky because of that. Yeah. Mm. Mm. 
Mm, okay. How often do you go? So first of all, mm-hmm. of these, of these are, are, I guess you said neither of your paternal grandparents are alive anymore. Neither of my paternal grandparents are alive, but my grandmother from my mom's side is actually mm-hmm. celebrating 103 years old today. Oh, she is, she, it's her birthday today. And happy she turned, birthday. <laughs> she's, she turned 103 years old. And that's like, I don't, I can't even imagine, but I can't yeah. either. I can't yeah. either. Now COVID has obviously put, put mm-hmm. made, made a big change on everything, but how often do you get to see your family and how do you stay in touch when you mm-hmm. don't, when you don't get to see them much? Yeah, it's sad that we can't really travel back as much as we want to. Like my husband um family is also back home. Oh, so he's Indonesian my, as well. My husband is also Indonesian. Oh, he, okay. he is of uh he is of Chinese and Batak heritage. So Batak is like a local Sumatran um native, but mm-hmm. his mother is uh Chinese. So it, it, it yeah. Very similar. So, very similar. Mm, and they live in Jakarta. So like we try to make in our way to Jakarta every like twice, like, I mean, two, every two years or so, okay. or if not, like they come to visit us. Yeah. But now since COVID, it's kind of really hard. So, you yeah. know, thank God, thank God for like Zoom. And, yeah. Like, you know, so we, yeah. we catch up, we catch up online, like every week, at least, you know, just That's to talk. Wonderful. All yeah. your siblings and your parents. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's <laughs> wonderful. That's great. Yeah, that's so the you, only way. I mean, it's it, it. Yeah, it's not remotely similar. I mean, or close to like having them all no. at the same place, right? But no, I mean, that's the best that we can do at this time. Yeah, it's so much yeah. different than, for instance, what mm-hmm. your grandfather had just leaving, and he didn't even yeah. see his family for thirty yeah. years. I mean, he could probably write letters every now and again. He probably he probably did, but like mm. you know, that's the ex- that's it. That's the extent right. of it. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Mm. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Amazing. Amazing. So tell us what you do. What's your, what's your career? You, you're, you're a wonderful ph- photographer. I, I really, 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 really love Thank <laughs> your you. photography, but your, um, your food expertise is not by any means limited to photography. Um, so I, I think that, you know, like this pandemic sort of like, um, changing my perspective of what I wanted, what I wanted to do, like, for my career full time, I am actually doing like photographing and uh, developing recipes full time right now. Mm-hmm. I used to I used to dabble between photographing and developing recipes and um, actually working as a culinary aide, like mm-hmm. culinary in for banquets. Mm-hmm. So I used to I, I like that part of the job because then you know like you're learning something new on with your hands you know yeah. I'm the type of person that kinesthetic so I like to do things with my hands mm. and so I it was just yeah nice but with you know with the COVID yeah you know it's it's, it's hard to like travel and then yeah. more people so I I'm I'm really happy with like just photographing and developing recipes full-time right now mm. and yeah. you're you're a nutritionist as well I'm not a nutritionist, but I went to school for food and nutrition just oh. because for my own curiosity, I don't know why I did that, but yeah, I just, but then something sparked during my uh, undergraduate. I, I think mm-hmm. that was a time where um, there was a guest speaker. Like, I think she was talking about home economics and how you can branch out from food and nutrition to become a stylist, become mm. like whatever you like. So I was, I think at that point I was like, oh, 
I know I don't want to work in a hospital. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to, I was like, um, I'm not going to work in a hospital. I think I'm just going to try to figure out if I like the styling thing. And yeah. I was like, oh, I really love it because. Oh, you're so good at it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I was like, oh, you can get like, you know, just absorb into it and just like, mm-hmm. you know, have your own space almost mm-hmm. like doing things that take a long time, but then you're like, oh, this is my space. I like it. It's mm-hmm. quiet and, mm-hmm. and, you know, rewarding. Yeah. yeah. And you can attach the emotion to it. Like we were saying earlier, you can attach oh. a, a lot of meaning, not that there's not meaning, not that new, being a nutritionist is not meaningful work. They do a lot of good and help a lot of people. But I think yes. that um, you don't have to look at food only through, yeah. you know, it's energy to nutrition benefit, which is a super important way to look at food, but it's yes. not, doesn't have to be the only way you can revel in a little bit of chicken fat. if you want. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I, I think the part that fascinated me the most is the mm. fact that you can actually present stories and um, mm. the fact that you can combine, you know, Mm. food and stories and you know tell yeah tell and then actually get to know people from food and then also give the space for connection and relationship through food it's just like fascinating food is just fascinating to me it it really uh, yeah yeah it is is. well and you've you've started your own way of doing that with this um movement like at least on instagram you have like Mm -hmm. the the joy luck supper club and Mm -hmm. far east friday feast um, mm-hmm. which I do need to warn people at far East Friday, maybe doesn't bring up the best images. I don't know what the heck that is, but far East Friday oh, no. feast is where you want to go. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it, it was a little bit long and wordy, but I was like, well, it was a personal project in, mm-hmm. in the beginning. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to make that connection with the home that I left behind. And in my mind, I wanted to share my heritage recipes and stories of where I come from, you know, mm-hmm. to represent Indonesian food on the map. Yeah. And then I find that um, Indonesian, Chinese, Indonesian cuisine in general is very little represented. Yeah. And even even when I used to do um, Indonesian catering pop up years ago, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of uh, people, you know, a lot of Indonesian fellow also struggle and t- told me like they mm. they it's a, it was really hard business for them reaching out to a larger crowd because yeah. our food is seen as something foreign and our you know, and, and, and obviously our population in North America is fewer than like other Southeast Asian immigrants, like Vietnamese or Filipinos. Mm-hmm. So it, it, our food was not exposed. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you know how Asian food are ugly, delicious. So mm-hmm. it's like, I think there's a lot of intimate, like it's intimidating to see mm-hmm. it. It's seen as something that is exotic mm-hmm. and unfamiliar. So, and then I wanted to change that. And I, I feel like, you know, if we have that is something good, why can't we share it? Yes. And I wanted the Indonesian cuisine to be more accessible. Yeah. So in my head, I was like, oh, okay, maybe one way of making unfamiliar thing familiar is to share and educate the crowds mm-hmm. and see how they respond. Right. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, bonus point I I was on a mission to challenge my photographic skill because then yeah. okay, this <laughs> ug- ugly delicious food, I now have to represent it in a way that yes it's inviting and not like, you yeah. know, off-putting, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah, I, I wasn't sure how like far is Friday feast was going to be received. Mm-hmm. Um, so what started as a personal project, a few people started joining in and then I just started feeling like, well, maybe this project would be fitting more as a community than like a personal project because mm-hmm. it feels that there are people who wants to, 
to yeah. share the, their food too, right? Absolutely. And it was nearing, I think, the uh, Lunar New Year last year when oh. Deborah Lee, Deborah uh-huh. Lee of Steeper Malaysia. I don't know if you're aware of her, but mm-hmm. she uh, she is of Malaysian Chinese heritage as well. Okay. And she really identify with the struggle, the same mm-hmm. struggle. So she approached me with a call-up ad- idea. She she mm-hmm. said that, oh, well, you know, there's very little Southeast Asian cuisine representation in social media. Mm-hmm. You know, why don't, why, why don't we change that? And like try to make, you know, authentic heritage recipe accessible by, yeah. you know, just featuring all these people who mm-hmm. are already doing, you know, already sharing their things. Yeah. So yeah, that's how the Joy Luck Supper Club came to be. And uh, we wanted to invite people in the community to share their story and heritage recipes. We hope that the recipe will will be passed on to the next generations. I hope so too. I hope so too. And I Mm -hmm. learned a lot by just following it and looking at the recipes. Oh, I'm um, glad. Yeah. I think that you guys do a really good job of just sharing techniques. Um, you know, I, there's things popping into my head right now that I think it was a full year ago, some eggs and stuff that you shared that, you know, I just never, I had never even heard of these approaches. Um, and, and so I really appreciate it. And in terms of the ugly delicious, I, I don't, I don't want to be insulting or rude, but I am mm-hmm. so tired of, you know, you pop a cookie or a cake up there. I mean, it's so predictable. Like I made a cake <laughs> and I put some oranges so on top and I watched Instagram respond. And then I put I up a much better image in I terms know. of the yes. skill that it took to create it, knowing <laughs> it wouldn't. And I just, I really don't care anymore. Like really, I know Instagram's I'm at like point. the gravy <sighs> on top of, um, my approach to getting listeners to the podcast, but yeah. it's just, it's, it's quite, um, I think it's discouraging just in the it sense is very of, discouraging. Yeah, well, right. it, it is because one, it doesn't acknowledge the skill and yeah, there's skilled people taking pictures of cakes. I'm not saying that, yeah. but it's just, it's, cake is not like what we live off of. You know, it's, I, I, I mean, it, it, it's exactly my struggle. Too, it's but not really what nature offers us as it's, yeah. you know, you were talking about that before. Like you look at what, like the hand of God has opened and given mm-hmm. to us one, just from the mm-hmm. earth, from the ground and two from our ancestors. And it's not cake. <laughs> I know it, it is kind of sad. But then the bright side of it, though, like, I feel like mm. if you start posting like all this like delicious food, no matter mm. it's ugly, delicious or whatnot, I feel like you attract the kind of crowd that yes. really wants to learn and wants uh, that's th- th- that, that appreciates, yeah. you know, your content. So mm-hmm. I do. I actually always like feel like, oh, my goodness, every time I'm sharing something that is unfamiliar, I always know that my followers is going to tank, like not even like. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, like some people, a lot of people unfollow me because of that. But then I'm like, oh, well, oh you I, actually lose followers. Yeah, I lose followers. Yeah. <gasps> now and that almost, surprises me. I don't get nearly almost, the number of likes, but I, I don't lose followers. Oh, That's man. crazy I to me. And then I always what? knew instantly that if I do share certain things that it's going to be like, oh yeah, yeah, no, that's not what I wanted from you. I just want cakes or something. But then I have to stay authentic to who I am, right? I cannot yeah. be just like, okay, oh, I'm yeah. going to post 
cake and sweets from now on. Like, I mean, oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's tough, but <laughs> it is, but be, uh, be, be assured. I mean, my, um, inspiration collection is full of images mm-hmm. from you and oh, to, thank you so much. Yeah, no, it's very encouraging. Yeah. Today I'm shooting something. It's like a marinated eggplant. So it's been sitting and Ooh. it's like soaked in oil and marinated. So it's not a pretty color. And I, I've actually specifically, and there, it's kind of part of, um, usually like kind of a feast kind of like it, it's really the types of images that you do a lot. You do, a, you do okay. really, 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 um, amazing stuff with creating like this look of bounty and a feast on a table, you know, um, oh, thank you. You have great minimal sure stuff you, too. I'm Your sh- egg ones I'm, are good, but I'm, <laughs> I'm really I'm sure you will have no problem with that. You're really oh. good at what you're, what you do. And you always create like a mood, like a really nice mood. So I'm pretty sure you're kind, but it really is on the shoulders of people who are doing that kind of work. And Mm -hmm. you are one that I've specifically gone to your feed just to kind of, um, get, get an idea for this afternoon shoot. So thank you you so much. Thank you. And uplifting. Yeah. And I will just tell you again, I'm not, I'm not trying to insult people. Like there is a, listen, I mean, we made a pan of brownies last night and those brownies are gone. So (laughs) I, 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 I get it. And for better or for worse, we are um, yeah. a dessert loving family. Um, but I can tell you personally, I'm going to love making this recipe. And this is what um, oh, I, I think, I think so, this Becky. is what feeds my soul more, to be honest with you. Oh. I, I don't want to sound cheesy, but I mean, listen, thank you. That rush of fat and sugar, that's, that's just the animal instinct in us. But um, yeah, making something like this is what kind of, I think feeds, feeds my soul. And I'm really excited to share it with my family and, and with my listeners as well. Well, I'm Your so listeners happy to right hear now. that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I have listeners right now and I'm so happy, you know, that you get to share it and Me too. I, I can't wait to hear back from you and you know, what, what you think about Oh yeah. I can't, I can't (laughs) wait to make it. Yeah. Can you tell everyone where to find you and your delicious, (laughs) delicious food? Um, everybody can find me at milk of dikinus on Instagram. Um, I also have some recipes on my website at motkstudio.com. So yes. Yep. And I'll definitely share those in the show notes. So if you missed them, just scroll over in the show notes. They're right there. So awesome. um, Yeah. Amy or well, so should I, well, what, like, let's get back you to the call me Amy. Call you Amy or should I call you yeah. M Amy? Whatever, whatever like suits you, like whatever feels comfortable. You really to you. just answer to everything. Yeah. M and Amy. M- and M- Amy, M- Amy. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. I've really enjoyed thank this conversation you. so much. I really enjoyed the time together too. Thank you so much, Becky. Okay. We'll be in touch. Bye-bye. We'll be in touch. Bye. Listeners, once again, thank you for tuning into this episode. I am excited to share Amy's contact information with you and her delicious recipe there in the show notes. I do encourage you to follow Amy on Instagram. Also, as always, I just want to remind you that this podcast is all thanks to you and um, for you, for the community. And I do hope that you will support it by subscribing Uh, You can subscribe to the newsletter if you don't tend to follow things in your podcast player. That's no problem. Just find the newsletter in the show notes and you can subscribe right there. I would love for you to review the podcast with a five-star review. And again, right there in the show notes, I'm giving you a way you just click on a link and they will work it all out between your device and your player and um, give you any options that are easy for you. You can just click on the links to leave a five-star review. 
Next week, I'm very excited to introduce you to Rai, who lives in West Bengal, India, and she's going to be teaching us all about Holi, the springtime festival of colors. It is a super informative and interesting and lighthearted episode, and I can't wait for you to hear it. In the meantime, have a great week, my friends.